Tales of Panem, a Hunger Games podcast. My name is Claire, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm glad to have you all joining me this week. Make sure to check out my social media, which is at Tales of Panem on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok for updates, episode information, and more. So now that we've finished the Hunger Games novel, this week's episode is going to be about the Hunger Games movie. These movie episodes are going to have a specific format since I'm covering the entire movie in one episode, so we kind of got to move quickly. Um, But obviously I'm not going to be getting into a lot of like plot or character details since we already covered that stuff. So I'm going to start off with some fun trivia about some of the other actors who were considered for the leading roles in the film, and then I'll get into the actual breakdown. I've split the movie up into five sections, and for each section I'll give a quick rundown of what happens, discuss any major book-to-movie differences, talk about anything else noteworthy within that section, and then give some fun facts about the actors, the filming process, etc. And then finally, at the end of the episode, I'm going to talk briefly about the deleted scenes from the movie, because if there's one thing to know about me, it's that I love deleted scenes. I love watching them. I love talking about them, everything to do with them. So let's start off with our leading actors. We obviously have Jennifer Lawrence as Katniss Everdeen, but what you may not know is, well, I'm sure you know that there were several other actresses who auditioned for this role, but I'm going to name who some of them were because I think it's really interesting and I, I love these kinds of trivia. Um, Haley Steinfeld, Saoirse Ronan, Brie Larson, Shailene Woodley, and Emma Roberts, just to name a few. There's more than that. Definitely go look it up if that's something that you find entertaining to know. Um, the thing I think is interesting about this is that they were kind of having, they were kind of split between like, should we go with an older actress or someone younger? Because some of the actresses on this list and some of the others they auditioned were obviously a lot younger at the time, like closer to the 16 year old age that Katniss actually was, which is something that I actually like have opinions about of them casting someone who very much does not look or seem like a 16 year old. Um, Because I think that a lot of the weight of the series comes from the fact that these are children. And I'm not being like, oh my God, how could they not cast a 16 year old for this role? I get the reasoning to go with an older actress. I think Jennifer Lawrence is great in this role, but I just think it's interesting that they were originally considering some younger actresses. As for Peter Malark, obviously he's played by Josh Hutcherson, love of my life, my first celebrity crush, fun fact. but here are some of the other people who are considered for that role. These are some of my personal favorites. Lucas Till, Hunter Parrish, Aaron Taylor Johnson, and Evan Peters. I'm just going to let that one sit. I don't really have extra things to say about that. And then rounding out this kind of main trio, we have Liam Hemsworth as Gail Hawthorne. A couple other actors who were considered for this role, David Henry, Robbie Amell, and Drew Roy. <laughs> And then finally, Woody Harrelson as Hamish Abernathy. Iconic performance, obviously, but the other major actor who was actually being considered for this role was John C. Riley, um, which was a very fun thing for me to learn when I learned this. So I had to bring it up. So now let's get into the movie. Our first section starts at the beginning of the film, obviously, um, and it takes us through our opening interview with head game maker Seneca Crane our introduction to Katniss, Prim, and Gail, uh, the reaping, the scenes in which Katniss says goodbye to her friends and family, and the train ride to the Capitol. Um, So basically everything that's occurring in District 12 before the games is in this first section, taking us all the way through the train ride right up until they arrive at the Capitol, um, which is about 30 minutes into the film. So for discussing like book to movie changes, I'm obviously not going to bring up every single one because 
we simply do not have the time for that. So I'm only going to include ones that I think are extra noteworthy, ones that I have strong opinions about, ones that I think are very interesting choice to be made, stuff like that. Um, so our first one, which I just think is fun little trivia, is that Seneca Crane never actually appeared in the first novel, but he was mentioned in Catching Fire and, and referred to as the head game maker and his um, eventual execution is also referenced in that book. But obviously they decided to include his character in the movie. I think most people would remember him for his infamous facial hair. Um, we all know what I'm referring to. But he obviously plays a much bigger role in the movie and it's, it's partially because he can't play that big of a role in the book, like even if they wanted him to, because it's all from Katniss's point of view. And she, her only real like interaction with him is in her like private training session. Everything else is just kind of external. But in the movie, they actually add in these scenes with him and Snow. And the entire movie actually starts off with, with an interview between him and Caesar Flickerman, um, introducing him as the head game maker. So yeah, I just think it's interesting that like his name is never said in the first book. Um, it's not even until the second that we actually find out what happened to him and the, the kind of consequences that he faced for allowing things to go the way they did. Um, my next one is something that I literally will bring up anytime I'm watching this movie with anyone ever, uh, is that if you'll notice, Buttercup is not orange in the first film, is not yellowish orange, um, like he is in the book, hence the name. And so <laughs> this is so funny to me. Fans of the series were actually very upset by this um, and like literally Buttercup was recast going into Catching Fire because he was not the right color. I just think it's so funny that that the fans of this series got so upset about the cat's color that they literally had to recast the cat. It's very funny to me. Moving along to one of our pretty big changes is that Madge Undersea never makes an appearance in any of the films. Um, and in, in the first film, Katniss, rather than getting the Mockingjay pin from Madge like she does in the book, she actually just buys it at the hob. Um, which I have a lot of thoughts about this because Madge, as a character, I love, first of all. Um, but also it's very much a thing of like the story can be told without her. And timing wise, it would be kind of hard to fit her in and give her the kind of significance that she has in the books. Because in the book, she's one of, first of all, one of Katniss's only friends, especially they get a lot closer actually after the 74th games. They end up spending a lot more time together because um, they both have a lot more free time than most of the people in 12 do. And, and they get pretty close, um, which is really nice. And I really like that that relationship exists. Um, but again, it's just like a timing thing and they would have had to cast someone else for her. Um, so I get why it's not in the movies. However, the one big thing with that is the Mockingjay pin, which not only does Madge give it to Katniss, but who it belonged to before Madge is actually pretty noteworthy and something I want to talk about during Catching Fire. Um, anyway. And so I won't get into it a ton right now. So it kind of gave the pin that like extra level of significance even before it becomes like literally a symbol of rebellion. Um, but you know, would have been nice to keep in the films, but like I get it. And also the symbol or the, the pin and therefore the symbol gets most of its meaning from Katniss's actions anyway. And, and also a lot from Maru and like what she means to the country. And so I don't think that it's like, 
really necessarily detrimental to the story to not have her be in it. I just think she's a character. It would have been nice to see her get why they didn't. You get the point. Going off of that, though, obviously this means that Madge is not one of the people who visits Katniss before she goes off for the games, and neither is Peta's father, the baker. And again, I think that's just one timing and two casting, stuff like that. It, these are like, obviously in every book to movie adaptation, characters get cut, and these were just kind of characters that ended up being the ones getting cut. Um, it's kind of the same thing with with Peta's dad. It's like nice to know what kind of person he is. Nice to have this relationship between him and Katniss, but again, not ends up being detrimental to the story because the more important thing about Peta's family is is his treatment by his mother, um, which obviously gets kept in and addressed. There's also <laughs> so in the in the book um, in these these in the the incident with the bread. Um, where Peta throws the bread out to Katniss in the rain. They're 11 when this happens because it's before she can take Tessery. Um, it's the whole point. They don't say their ages in the movie, but like it's still Jennifer Lawrence and Josh Hutcherson in these flashbacks. So I'm just gonna infer that they're not 11 year olds because they can't even pass a 16 year old. Josh Hutcherson is close. He was only 19 when this was filmed. Um, but even so. They can barely, if at all, pass as 16-year-olds. They absolutely cannot get pass as 11-year-olds. Part of me kind of wishes that they would have had, like, younger actors play, like, their younger selves. But also the way in which the flashbacks are done, there's there's just, like, little snippets and there's not, like, dialogue or anything. There's little explanation given. So it needs to be, like, instantly recognizable, like, who these people are. And so I think that, like, using Josh and Jennifer for it, like, for that reason makes sense. It's just kind of... It has more meaning, at least to me, when they're younger, um, because like it's it's already crazy that a person like Peta would do this for another person that he barely knows, but to do it as an eleven-year-old is even adds a little bit more to his character when you know like he's not just a good person now; he was doing stuff like this when he was eleven years old. Um, but yeah, they don't say they're not eleven, but I'll allow myself to be like, yeah, these are sixteen-year-olds, even though they like definitely aren't. But like 11, that's push. Like I'm not, there's no way I can manipulate my brain into believing that those are 11 year olds in those flashbacks. Haymitch is not at the reaping. You're going to notice, okay. Or he, in the book, he's at the reaping. In the movie, he's not. You're going to notice a common thread. If there's ever a book to movie change that involves Haymitch doing less, I'm going to be upset about it. And that has nothing to do with whether or not I think it was a good choice for the movie. That has everything to do with I think he should be on screen as much as possible. Like, I think that he should be in every scene he possibly could be in. Um, but he's not at the reaping, so it's fine. I'm fine with it. But yeah, those are our most noteworthy changes for this section. Um, mostly because like this kind of like pre-capital stuff had just to be like really condensed down, this world building stuff. And also with that being said, they had to do a lot more visual world building um when because when it's in a book you can obviously just put it on the page and have it be as Katniss's thoughts to give you the world that you're in but you have to kind of like the movie starts out with this little like text on a black screen being like this is what the hunger games are and this is kind of like the world that we're being placed in whereas like stuff and then like has to show you physically everything else and like you get to know district 12 through the visuals and through vi mostly visual storytelling um so there's less time for like other scenes and characters in there and then my trivia for this section one is that Effie's name is actually never said in the first movie 
she's just there. She's literally just there. She's just there as their escort. Um, and then obviously in Catching Fire, she actually gets to have a name on screen. And then my second one is also related to Effie, which is that Elizabeth Banks spent 45 minutes every day getting her nails done before shooting. 45 minutes. And you look at the rest of her outfits and makeup, just think about the total amount of time that she must have spent getting ready every single day on set. Crazy. And I know those outfits were not comfortable. Those wigs, that much makeup, I know it wasn't. And also I I do, this is, I forgot to write this down in my trivia, but it's actually good trivia, but I know it. So I'm going to talk about it anyway. Um, Is that, so all the like children from District 12 that they're reaping are like, are just like children who are acting as extras. Um, And it was like super hot the day that they were filming those scenes and everyone was like, and, and the, the main actors could obviously go back to their like trailers in between takes, but these children could not. So they were just standing out in the hot sun, which my point with that was, I was just thinking about Elizabeth Banks having to be in, in that outfit in that much heat. Oh my gosh. Especially having a lot of makeup in the heat is like the most disgusting feeling ever in my opinion. Like I hate it so much. It feels so like suffocating almost. Um, but anyway, my back to my story about the children and the heat is that the cast members actually gave everyone free autographs after they had shot all those scenes just for standing out in the hot sun that much time, which I just think, I love that story. Anyway, I can't believe I forgot to write that down. I'm glad I remembered it. It's a good one. Moving along, um, our next section, which takes us up to about an hour in the movie, um, we start right at the arrival in the Capitol. Um, they meet their stylists, the tribute parade happens, then we have all the training stuff, we have their private training sessions with the game makers where they get to show off their skills, we have all the tribute interviews and the rooftop scene, which is actually not on the roof in the movie, but I will forever call it the rooftop scene because it's so iconic and it is that in my brain. We all know the scene I'm talking about, the scene where Katniss and Peeta are on the rooftop the night before the game where he says, his his banger of like I'm not gonna let them change me. Anyway, listen to last week's Peter Malark episode if you if if you want to hear my thoughts about that and how it relates to his character down the line. Anyway, not to promote my own episode from last week, um, but yeah. So we got all of that packed in here, and this takes us basically up to the start of the game. This takes us to like the night before. Um, so this is all the capital stuff, all the preparation stuff, all that crazy stuff that they're doing. Uh, let's talk book to movie changes. First one, pretty big one. Um, another character who who basically who is not as prevalent in the movie as they were in the book is Lavinia, who is the Avox girl that Katniss recognizes when they get to the Capitol, um, and actually is like says says out loud that she recognizes her, and then Peta has to cover for her by saying that she actually looks like Deli Cartwright. Um, but she's not a character in the movie. In the in the books, her and Katniss kind of have this like almost friendship while she's in the Capitol, where Lavinia basically is able to kind of like express to her like that she shouldn't feel guilty for not helping her. Um, and the, her name, Lavinia, actually doesn't get revealed until Mockingjay, <laughs> when we learn some additional information about her character. That's all I'll say. Anyway, um, this is a very small thing, um, is that District 4 is not 
included as a career district in the movies. Like in the books, the careers are one, two, and four. In the movies, it's just one and two. Like only the one and two tributes are together. District one and two are the only ones named as career districts. Kind of interesting. Um, I think it's simply to make the pack of careers a little bit smaller just for like filming purposes. That's my guess as to why. And it also, like, for narrative purposes, you don't really need District 4 to be a career district. So that's just a small thing that I always think is interesting. Major scenes that got cut are... Uh, I'm sad about it. It's fine. I get it. Are the interview prep with Effie and Hamish. Once again, anything that involves Hamish being in less of the film, I'm unhappy about. But the interview prep scenes with him and Katniss are genuinely so funny to me. So it's kind of sad. But again, like we don't, we simply do not have time for all of that. But yeah, those are all the scenes where he's like, there's literally nothing. You have no charisma, charm, anything that is going to help you on camera. Just do your best. Um, those scenes, yeah, those are not here. Um, but then added scenes with, and I was talking about this a bit earlier, with Seneca Crane and Snow, which again are things that like we couldn't get in the novel because it's all from Katniss's perspective since it's film we're able to like branch out and have multiple perspectives, which I really like because I think that Snow definitely has this sort of like presence throughout the first book. Like he, you, you are aware that he is a threat and then in, in, Catching Fire, he becomes like a very real tangible threat. But I think it's nice just to have him kind of like there sometimes in the movie, you know? Like he's just kind of around. And yeah, it's the same with Seneca Crane, like literally not being in the book, same thing with him. Um, my one note that I wrote down for this section outside of that, I'm a, I hate to be a hater. I really do. It's been, like, okay, that's such a, sometimes I think being a hater is fun. Sometimes I do, like, I'm going to be real. However, when it comes to this series, I really hate to be a hater because I think it's just so good. <laughs> However, I'm going to be a hater and say that I disliked Katniss's interview dress, like the red one. I think the effect when she spins and it, it's on fire is good. But the dress itself, we know Cinna could do better. That's all I'm going to say. It's just... It's such a like personal opinion. I hate to be like, I don't like this dress, but I didn't like it. I think that for for the for the amount of detail that goes into describing these outfits in the books and how like beautiful they are, I think that that one fell short a little bit. Kind of, I think that definitely the costumes took like a like made an improvement going into Catching Fire. That's not even to say they were like bad in the Hunger Games, like. And there's there's only like a couple that I'm like, yeah, I didn't really love this one. But like in Catching Fire, they're incredible. Like it's just like a slight step up, if that makes any sense. Um, which I think is great because again, clothing is very important in this story, especially with Cinna and and his importance to the story and what he is able to express through the things he dresses her in. But anyway, <laughs> sorry for being like, I don't like this dress, but it's true. Uh, my trivia for this section, which, oh, this is one of my favorites. Um, so for those who do not know, Woody Harrelson is actually a vegan. Um, so in any scene where they're at dinner or eating at all, Hamish is only ever seen drinking or eating vegetables or desserts. So he never is actually eating any meat because Woody Harrelson can't eat meat so, or like doesn't eat meat. So they never had him eating it on screen. 
which is so fun for me, a person who loves Woody Harrelson so much. Anyway, um, and then my second one is that Isabel Fairman, who plays Chloe, who I'm also obsessed with, by the way, side note, um, actually originally auditioned for Katniss, but then they decided that she was too young to play Katniss and too old to play Prim. So they invited her to audition for Clove, hence how she ended up getting the role. Um, and Alexander Ludwig, who plays Cato, actually also auditioned to play Peta, which is just so interesting to think about because in the, in the book, it's kind of implied that like maybe Clove and Cato had some little weird romantic thing going on, like maybe just a little bit. But in the movie, it's Glimmer and Cato. It's because Isabel Fierman is, is much younger um, or was mu- like too much younger than Alexander Ludwig at the time for it to not be a little bit weird. But then you think about how they auditioned for Katniss and Peeta. But anyway, I think they ended up being incredible as Cato and Clove. Um, I'll get to that. Anyway, moving on to our next section, uh, which takes us from about an hour into about an hour and a half, which is starting right with uh, the morning of the games, which is when Katniss says her goodbyes to Hamish and Sinna and gets transported into the arena. And then we have the whole bloodbath at the cornucopia, the first day and night, which is when we learn that PETA is working with the careers. The whole fire that the game makers start that Katniss has to run from. And then when the careers eventually locate her and she hides in the tree and she gets her first sponsor gift, uh, which is the medication for her burn. And then obviously the tracker jackers. Um, I mentioned this when we first talked about tracker jackers. I'm really, I think I did at least if I didn't, I'll bring it up now. I'm really afraid of bees. And I, I don't, I think that it predated me reading the series. Like, I don't think I'm afraid of bees because of tracker jackers, but I think that my fear of bees is a reason why the tracker jackers were like the most horrifying thing to me ever. I think that was the order of those events, but like bees are one of those things that like, that I'm afraid of in the way that if I just see them on screen, I'm like, ugh. And so every time I watch the scene with the tracker jackers, I'm like, oh, can we just move on, please? I hate it so much, which means they did a really good job with it because it's supposed to make you feel fearful. I only have a couple of book to movie changes for this section because obviously the small events of the games are like varying in a lot of places, but it's just, again, because there's a lot of action to kind of get packed into a two hour movie, slightly over two hour movie, but they kind of cut out some of the stuff with Katniss's struggles with like dehydration, which are also just like a timing thing because that spanned a couple days and it kind of move things along here. Because um, obviously in the book, she gets like extremely dehydrated and her search for water is like a big thing. That gets a little cut down. Um, however, I talked about this probably multiple times. I'm going to be real. It's probably been multiple times, but I, I kept being like, I'm going to talk about this when we get to the movie episode. We're here. Um, the notes in the sponsor gifts genius because in the book obviously it's Katniss kind of piecing together like oh here's what Hamish wants for me and as much as I love that because it shows this connection that they have that would have been hard to do on screen because we can't it's hard it's hard to get inside her mind obviously when it's not a book written from her perspective when it's a movie where we're just having to go based on dialogue and visual storytelling and acting so they decided to include these little slips of paper in the sponsor gifts where your mentor could write you a little note which is great. As long as Hamish gets to have his his moment while he's not in these parts of the book, I'm fine. So as the resident Hamish stand, this one gets my seal of approval. And also as a storytelling device, it's really good, etc. But what really matters is, is Hamish getting the time in the spotlight that he deserves? That's what I'm here to tell you. 
I just started a little segment at the end of these that's like on a scale of one to 10, how good was this section for me, a person who's literally obsessed with Hamish Abernathy? Maybe I'll add that for Catching Fire. I probably won't because I already talk about him too much. I don't need to add more time to it. And then the last one is a small one, um, which goes back to the like district four not being a career district is that uh, in the book, the tracker jackers kill both Glimmer and the girl from district four, but in the movie, the girl from district four is not with the careers because district four is not a career district, which again, does it it's not a big deal um in terms of storytelling like it it's fine the important thing is that someone die violently from the tracker jackers because that's the thing that has the impact and also it has to be glimmer because she has the bow and arrows um and she's obviously the significant like death for this portion of the book and then <laughs> my piece of trivia for this section is that alexander ludwig worked out for four hours a day with the u.s navy seal to get into shape for his role as Cato. And we can tell, and we can tell. Anyway, moving along. Um, sorry, I have a lot of thoughts about his performances, like positive thoughts about his performances, Cato. Um, I'll talk about it a little bit. I'm kind of saving it for then though. So our next section picks up right after the tracker jackers when Katniss wakes back up. Um, this is when we see her form her alliance with Rue and the two of them's plan to destroy the career's food, which ultimately succeeds. And then we get Marvel's death, followed directly by Rue's death. And then, of course, the rule change to two victors and, and when she goes searching for Peta. And then we have the cave scenes. Ah, so true. Um, and then the Feast of the Cornucopia, where Clove dies. Um, this book to movie change, I'm going to bring it up again later when we talk deleted scenes. But Katniss doesn't get the bread from District 11. I'm going to come back to that but I'm just going to put it out there because it's in this section. However, in relation to that, once Rue dies, we do actually see cut to District 11 and there's a riot that takes place of the citizens of District 11 out of their anger and sadness for what they've just seen happen to Rue, um, which is something that's really great and obviously something we couldn't get in the book because of the perspectives thing I've talked about. Um, and I think it's amazing. I love the inclusion of that scene. Because it goes back to what I've said a bunch of times about how like what Rue means to the people of her district and how that's kind of similar to what Prim means to the people of District 12 and then eventually to all of Panem once her family gets the sort of fame that comes with Katniss being a victor. Um, but we just could tell through like dialogue and behavior that Rue is very important to the people of District 12. And so this is kind of the movie's way of being like, yeah, the people here cared enough about her to do this after she dies. So I really, really love that scene. Also, it's, I just like to see, like, people standing up, you know, like, people fighting back, because that's what the whole series is about, and so when you get to actually see it, it's good, and it makes you feel something. Um, there's also, <laughs> I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, there's some scenes, like, a couple little clips of Gail watching the games when Katniss and Peter are in the games. And I know I shouldn't laugh. I know I shouldn't. But that man is so jealous. And I'm going to say it. He deserves it. Remember like five minutes ago when I was like, I don't like to be a hater. That doesn't apply to him. I'm going to hate on him all the time. I try to keep to a minimum. Try to limit myself. This is my one. I hate him so much. Um, and maybe I chuckle a little bit so you can be jealous. Whoops. Anyway, um, the last thing for this section 
there's no sleep syrup. This, you know, when she gets the sleep syrup as a sponsor gift from Haymitch and she gives it to Peta so that he'll fall asleep and she can sneak out. It, that doesn't happen. Um, which obviously in terms of the, the Haymitch rating, how much time in the spotlight is Haymitch getting is bad because the syrup comes from him and it's, it's his idea, but he doesn't get to have that in this movie. Um, but no, I think it's fine. Um, but yeah, that is a, a change that occurred. She just kind of waits for him to fall asleep and sneaks out. It's fine. Um, here's trivia that's not really specific to this section, but I just put it here. Um, Jennifer Lawrence is actually left-handed in real life, but in the movie it appears that she's right-handed because she's learned how, had to learn how to do everything with her right hand, including shooting with a bow and arrow. So like while she was being trained by like real professional archers, first of all, to make sure it looked realistic when she was using the bow, she also had to do it with her opposite hand. Talent. That's talent. As someone who is right-handed and like very right-handed, like you asked me to write or something with my left hand, like it's not going to be good and has shot a bow and arrow like multiple times in my life. I applaud this <laughs> on top of the acting ability. And moving into our final section, which is obviously going to take us to the end of the film, um, but it picks up at the end of the cave scenes, uh, which is obviously goes right into Foxface's death when she eats the berries. And then we have everything with the mutts um, and that gets us to Kato's death. And then we have the nightlock, the or the rule change in the nightlock, and then the they get crowned victors, their final interview, and then returning home. Our changes for this section, first of all, is the order of the deaths. In the movie, Foxface dies before Thresh. And then Thresh gets killed, presumably by the mutts, like they kind of hear him die, and it seems like that's what happened. But in the book, Thresh actually dies before Foxface and he gets killed by Kato. Um, but it's still kind of ambiguous, like in the, like, because they don't actually witness it. Um, but based on like what they hear, it seems that he's killed by the mutts in the movie. And yeah, that ordering is different. Uh, the mutts are obviously very different in the movie because they're kind of just like big dogs and they're not have the eyes of the dead tributes or the hair of the dead tributes or or like are made to resemble the attributes or maybe are them. We don't know, we talked about this. Um, they're just big dogs. Which for purposes of like me not having nightmares as a child, great choice. However, I do think it would have been kind of cool to see the horrible ones that they had in the book. I use cool loosely because like it's not, like from a, from a production design standpoint, it would have been cool to see what they would come up with. They also added in some dialogue for Cato, and this is when I said I was going to come back to him. Now's the time. Um, they added some dialogue for him at, at the end when he's holding on to Peter of him basically being like, I've literally been trained my whole life just to die here for the capital's amusement. He doesn't say exactly that, but that's the gist of it. Love cancels out everything I, everything I said about not liking any other book to movie changes. Canceled out. Done. This is so good because have I said this before? That's a, that's sarcastic. I know I have. He's an 18 year old. He's basically still a child who's been raised and trained his whole life to go fight and die for the amusement of the capital and like maybe win. 
I've said this a million times, the careers are still children or like just adults and they've been raised their whole lives for this. That's all they've ever known to do. And so I think that it gives his character the kind of depth that he didn't really have in the book, which I like when you look at it from the perspective of like, he's still also an 18 year old, you know? And like, yeah, he's made their lives incredibly difficult and like literally trying to kill them and is currently trying to kill them. But I also think it's important to note that like the careers, while they are sort of taking, not taking advantage of, but like using this situation uh, to gain like money and riches that they don't need because their district can provide for them. And also like enjoy the sort of like sport of killing people that happens here. They're also still victims of the capital. And again, all of them, but one in, even in years they do win all of them, but one still die. So I really love this moment. And back to my original point, Alexander Ludwig, incredible actor, so talented. Um, And this scene is exactly what I mean when I say that. So good. I talked about this when I talked about the episode, but I did say, or when I talked about the section of the book, but I did say then that I would bring it up again when I talked about the movie and I'm going to stick to my word. In the book, they are back to back for the nightlock. In the movie, they're face to face. Such a small change, but, I, but it's about trust. I talked a bit about more about it in that episode um, when I covered the end of the book. So go ahead and listen to that if you haven't already. Wow, I need to stop like plugging my own old episodes, but they're relevant and I don't and I don't want to repeat the same things again. So if you're like, wow, that's not as interesting, I talked about it. I talked about it. Um, but yeah, they're face to face the movie. It's fine. I'm just saying they could have been back to back. Anyway. Um, and then once again, Seneca Crane execution where he's in the room with the berries was obviously not in the book. And then it only gets like vaguely referenced in catching fire that he got executed, but it's in the movie because he's there, so might as well include it. And then PETA does not get a prosthetic leg in the films, which kind of makes me upset a little bit because to see him survive and do everything else that he does after this book while only having one real leg or sort of like the process of like having an artificial leg, I just think is important. Um, and it's it's an important like representation to see on screen of someone with a disability like that. So I think that it would have been nice to have because obviously movies are going to reach a, a wider audience than books. And this is obviously a very popular book series. A ton, a ton of people have read it, um, but still more people watch movies. So that's just the reality. Um, and it's just kind of important to carry over like something like that. But it didn't happen. So I just think it's worth talking about. And it's why I like to kind of bring it up a lot and be like, he has a prosthetic leg because it's, it's important and it's something that didn't get carried over to the film. Anyway, moving on to what I'm sure is going to become my favorite part of these episodes, the deleted scenes. I think that it's just going to be increasingly me getting more bitter as we get closer to Mockingjay because the Mockingjay deleted scenes, oh, I have thoughts. Oh, I have thoughts. But that's neither here nor there. Let's talk about the ones in this movie. I'm not going to talk about every single one and every single detail. I'm just going to bring up some that and like things that I think are interesting um, briefly. If you want to go watch them yourself, they're out there. You can find them, I'm sure. First is that there is part of a, a, a part of dialogue where Gail explains what the tessery is. Would have been kind of nice, but it's also like 
it's nice world building to know and it's it's definitely like more important that you know it for the books I think than the movies but you don't like need to know it so it got cut um there's a scene it has Hamish in it so you know I have to bring it up where Hamish is listening in on a conversation between Katniss and Peta where Katniss basically says like you helped me once um it's oh they're talking about when Peta when Katniss helps out Peta during training um and he's basically like, why do you do that for me? And she says, you helped me once in reference to the bread. And Hamish is listening in on it. I just think it's nice. But it's fine. It didn't. It's okay. Could have given us some more Hamish screen time. It's fine. I'm just kidding. And then there's another scene with Gail and Prim, actually, where Gail explains his, like, traps to her. I kind of wish that one would have stayed in. I'm, I am a, obviously a vocal Gail anti literally was just talking about how much I hate him like 10 minutes ago um but I do think the relationship between him and Prim is important anyway moving on (laughs) I'm so sorry but yeah I think that I think I think showing the 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 bond between the two of them is good would have been nice to see a little more of in the films anyway if you're someone who this is your first time reading and doesn't know anything that happens after this and you're like what are you talking about yeah stick around there's additional tribute interview footage that got cut, which I, y'all should all go watch it. Just look, go on YouTube and look up like Hunger Games deleted scenes tribute interviews because they have like a ton of them in there and it's just good content. Like just go watch them. Um, I love those. Anyway, that's all I really have to say about that. And then there's some additional dialogue with Katniss and Rue that gets cut where she kind of talks about District 12 where she asked Katniss about PETA um just little things again like additional world building and then the bread from district 11 this is my little angry moment about deleted scenes in this episode it's such a short scene and I don't know anything about filmmaking or directing or edit I truly do not I truly don't I'm not a director at all so I'm not going to sit here and be like, there is no reason why this couldn't have been in here. Because I genuinely don't know why it was cut. Could not tell you. But like, why couldn't it be in there? Anyway, that's just my opinion. Because it's just such a good scene. Like she gets a loaf of bread from District 11 as a thank you for everything she did for real. Why would you not want that to be in there? I wish they'd cut that one. It's so short. Just, just put it back. Anyway, sorry. That's <laughs> so um, but yeah, that's the biggest one for this film that I'm like, this should have stayed in there. But yeah, there are some deleted scenes from Mockingjay that like, oh, put those back in now, put it back. But yeah, that's that's the Hunger Games film. The timing on this worked out really well. I was a little afraid that, the, that I would either like zoom through this and it wouldn't take that long or that it would take me forever. Um, but I think I paced it pretty good. So I'm going to do the same format for the other films when I eventually talk about them. Except Ballad, when that comes out, I'm probably going to have like, 12 episodes talking about it that's an exaggeration but there's going to be multiple because isn't that why we're all here so yeah but it'll be the same for catching fire and mockingjay parts one and two thanks for joining me this week on tales of panem i'll be starting catching fire next week and for those of you reading along with me i'll be covering chapters one through five if you have any specific questions or topics you'd like me to cover you can dm them to me on any social media or send them to my email which is tales of panem at gmail.com If you'd like to leave a review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would be very appreciated. Thank you again for listening, and I'll be back next week.